Hello, welcome to 365 Dates of Travel with Fran. I'm Fran. Welcome to my podcast. The main aim for this podcast is to make you smile from something I say and or laugh at something I did. So feel free to laugh away at me and at my expense. That's what I'm here for. Hello, welcome. This week we're going to be talking about stories that come from the March chapter of the book 365 Dates of Travel, the first six months. March is the longest chapter in the book and there were just so many amazing trips in March. There's just going to be way too much to talk about that I'm just, there's no way I can mention everything that's going to have happened in March. Um, but the stories from this chapter, um, very brief little story in England in 1997, and then lots from my 1998 trip that includes everything from traveling from Belgium to France, and then on to Spain, into Gibraltar, and across to Africa in Morocco. It was next next to the 1992 America trip, the 1998 Africa trip is the next best favorite trip. After that, um, or somewhere in the chapter, we've also got Finland in 2013. Great trip. Poland, 2017. Awesome trip. America, 2019. And Portugal, which I managed to squeeze in just before the pandemic in in 2020. But let's start with the Africa trip or the trip, the 1998 trip. I didn't start in Africa. I started in London earlier before the March chapter, but I went traveling through Europe on my way to Africa. So for the month of March, I was I just I was catching an overnight bus from Belgium to Paris. So back in those days, trains were not that common in my traveling. Bus was far more cheaper than the trains. So everything was done by bus. We crossed over the border into France from Belgium, and I was very upset that there was no visa check, passport check, nothing. So as an Australian at the time, we had to get a Schengen visa, which the first one you get looks amazing in your passport. It was a full page visa that you had. Um, And so, you know, I had to get it. So I got it. I paid for it. I had it in my passport and nobody bothered to look at it. I found that really annoying. If you're going to make me pay for it, then at least look at it. It happened again or the check didn't happen again when I also went from France to Spain. So it was very annoying that I'd paid for this visa and no one looked at it. Like I said, the first one I got was actually a nice thing in my passport. It looked very fancy. But over time, I got so many of them in my passport that it actually made the passport look really ugly because they were all exactly the same. But never mind. But yes, we did like collecting stamps in our passports because it was like a um, badge of pride you know you could hang around at the youth hostel and you know look through each other's passports and see where you've all been and how what all the stamps look like and the visas look like and it was really something you know to brag about all the stamps in your passport or the fact that you'd filled one two three or four passports over the years with all your visas and stamps my passport for this trip was a perfect example of 
just because you had a visa in your passport, you hadn't necessarily been to that country. But that's a whole other story that you don't know about yet. So we'll leave the rest of those details for another time. But I spent a few days in Paris um, on my way going south. And I was such a different traveler back then. It was the cheapest chips, anything to save money so you can do more travel. So it was always the cheapest youth hostel, which wasn't always the first hostel you came to. So in this story, I did come to a hostel that I thought was charging highway robbery. And it would actually have been, if I'd paid the higher price, I would have actually paid, well, I saved one night of accommodation by moving from the first hostel I arrived at to another hostel, um, which a whole extra night of accommodation is huge when you're traveling through youth hostels. I also did my own cooking and utilized the hostel kitchens, which I've got lots of stories about hostel kitchens. I wasn't a huge fan of most hostel kitchens, as you can read. Um, and I was always like, I did go through a stage where I was trying to open my, or wanted to, or plan to open my own youth hostel. And the one thing that I was very strict on the whole way through was the kitchen had to be a good kitchen and actually work. This was also the first trip where I sort of started learning that I was getting older, I was only 24. I had just turned 24 just before this trip in February, but suddenly there were 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds hanging around. And for so many years, I had been that 18, 19, 20-year-old, so the youngest. Um, And it was sort of, I was starting to feel a little bit old sometimes in some of the hostels in Europe at the ripe old age of 24. But that didn't stop me going out, having fun and hanging out with the other people there and doing things with the people that I met in the hostel. And it's always good when you've got so many stories to tell. And I remember looking up to the older people in the hostels and all the travel they had. And I learned a lot from older travelers or more experienced travelers. And it's kind of fun also passing on, you know, all your travel stories to the newer travelers. I just couldn't imagine being in a youth hostel now, though. I definitely would be one of the oldest ones there. And I know older people than me do use youth hostels, but I think I think my youth hostel days are gone. But it is really fun to look back and actually remember what they were like. After a few days in Paris, I caught another bus. This time it was an overnight bus. Um, going across the border into Spain. I arrived at stupid o'clock and, you know, that's what you did in those days. You did the overnight buses because it saved money on accommodation. Um, Even if you arrived at 1am, you kind of tried to stay up because it seems like a waste of money to pay for accommodation. But on this particular trip, I did actually try after a while I did try and find a bed for the night where it was the night was pretty much already or mostly over Um, but everything was actually booked up for that night so it didn't end up being an option and I had a planned meeting for the people that I was going to be traveling in Africa with so I wasn't actually going to be staying that next night or that night in San Sebastian either. So it was kind of like a weird situation. I had 
many, many hours to fill in until our rendezvous at two o'clock. And I found a statue area that had like a stone bench that I could sit on while waiting. But stone bench um, in March in Europe, it was freezing both outside and even more freezing on the stone bench. So it was very cold and and I'd forgotten this fact until I'd read it in my diary, but I'd actually thrown out all my warmer clothes that I was wearing when I was traveling in Belgium and France up until this point because it was still the end of winter and I was off to Africa. So the last thing I wanted to carry around Africa was European winter clothing. Um, But I had actually forgotten that I took the clothes and just left them behind. Um, Somebody at the hostel might have picked them up, I'm assuming, along the way. And But I also didn't have anything extra with me because all my Africa clothes were going to meet me when I met the others. So I left that with them before I left London. So I sort of didn't really have a lot with me, which is obviously nice. You don't have to carry anything, but, you know, when it's cold and you're freezing and you've literally got basically nothing with you, it's not the ideal situation. Um, And it's funny because, you know, in my diary – This is a little tiny little bit of excerpt from the diary that's in the book. In the future, when I'm rich, of course, I'll never travel at night. I don't know why I put myself through this. Money, whatever's cheapest. So I was obviously a little bit unhappy with myself in the choice to travel overnight, arrive at like 4.30 in the morning and be stuck with nowhere to go. (laughs) But it wasn't the first time I'd done that and i don't think it was the last time I probably did that either, but I definitely sort of, I'm not along those lines as much as I used to. But I clearly remember this statue I was stuck on and I was stuck there for hours. So arrival was about that 4.30 a.m. and I wasn't meeting up until 2 p.m. And like I said, I tried to find a hotel or hostel, but everything had been Um, sold out for that previous night so there was nowhere that would take me in at the crack of dawn and there was no point in paying for a new place to stay either even if they'd let me in that early because I wasn't actually staying we were just I was getting picked up and we were driving further down through Spain so I sat there and I sat there and I sat there and then I visited the beach for a while and then went back and sat at the statue and I waited and I waited and I waited and spoiler alert they didn't turn up so I ended up having to stay overnight no mobile phones in those days so I had no way whatsoever of getting in touch with them And so I had to just find myself a place to stay and cross my fingers and hope that they would meet up the next day. So I can't remember if we actually made that a plan, but it sounds like we might have made a plan along the lines of if we're not there one day, then come back the next day and so forth. And I had one of their parents' phone numbers, but they were back in England, so they wouldn't know anything after they'd left England either. So it wasn't a great 
uh, system back then, but you didn't know any different. Like we couldn't even have dreamt of having mobile phones, internet and everything at our fingertips. And, you know, we would have been texting each other along the way, seeing Facebook updates, Instagram updates. So we would have known exactly where we all were if it had been happening today. But back then it was all just not even in our dreams that stuff like that could happen and exist. So I really did think that it wasn't going to happen. And I'd been dreaming about Africa for years. And, you know, it's like you could see the dream there, but you just couldn't quite grab it. And I really started to think that it wasn't going to happen. And so, of course, the next day I had to check out of where I'd stayed, you know, let it stay all day um, and sat back at that statue. Oh, that statue. I don't even have a photo of it. And I really wish I did. It doesn't seem to exist anymore. Every time I've zoomed in on Google Maps and tried to find it and it just, it's not marked on any map. I think they've redeveloped the area a little bit and whoever it was dedicated to or whatever it was seems to have been removed. Um, But I really would like a surprise one day, head down to San Sebastian and actually find it. And I absolutely will try and find it if I ever go back to San Sebastian, because it has such strong memories and just, you know, so many thoughts going through my mind of, are they coming? Are they not coming? Am I ever going to get to Africa? What am I going to do? I don't have any clothes. I don't have this, that, the other. I gave them money. They have my money. It's like, I'm never going to see my dream. I'm here all by myself. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So you kind of remember moments like that in your life long, 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 long after. And that is true for me and that statue. But spoiler alert, we did make it to Africa. They did turn up and I joined the group in this red Land Rover that we were planning on driving all the way down to South Africa. It was going to be 10 months overland and I was just, it was literally my dream trip. But once I met up with the others, um, that was basically the end of most things comfortable. So definitely the end of the cleanliness factor. I have many mentions, I'd mentioned a little bit in the book and I have a lot more mentions Um, that didn't make it in the book, in my diary, Um, because basically we were, again, doing everything as cheaply as possible. So we were camping and making things cheaper when you're camping is to free camp. But if you free camp, you don't have access to showers and toilets and that kind of thing. So washing became something that we just didn't really do, to be honest. So if you're a little bit grossed out by cleanliness, dirtiness, etc., maybe just block your ears for the next couple of minutes. It might not be exactly what you want to hear, but I'm just going to say it. And I do talk about it a little bit in the book and it's like, seriously, how many days did I go without changing clothes? In the end, from what I can work out, it was about three days in the same clothes without any kind of wash, not even a wash up and down and not even a change of underwear 
along those lines. I really couldn't do that now. Um, but, yeah, when you're younger, it's a lot easier to do it and you definitely need to do that kind of travelling when you are younger because you won't want to do it later. We were such grots. Um, and, you know, it's really – it's not – necessary it's definitely cheaper um and you know it is true what they say that when you all smell bad you don't notice each other because you all just smell the same um but i really kept such you know in what seems like idiotic um details but it's kind of fascinating and kind of you know makes me laugh but there are definitely some really gross bits that I left out. Um, okay, block your ears. Like the crotch part of the un- my underwear changing colour. <laughs> and keep your ears blocked. Um, I even have descriptions of the sound my bowel motions were making as they were coming out and its softness level because I was trying not to get sick. So we weren't being clean. You know, there was a big chance of getting sick. And the two kind of go together. And I was determined not to be the first one to get sick. I guess I was expecting to be sick, but I just didn't want to do it too early in the trip. Um, I wanted to wait at least a month (laughs) before I got sick. (laughs) Um, So we did manage a couple of times to wash in supermarkets, the big superstores that were sort of still just coming into their own in the 90s. There's a lot more of them out there now. Um, so there were still semi-novelties, um, at least to me. And um, so we did do some washing, wash up and downs and things in shopping centre, supermarket type places, um, bathrooms. And, you know, at least that's one way to get clean. Um, also, while we were in these big stores, we stocked up on all sorts of things. And the whole Ziploc bags, like it's hard to imagine that we could live without Ziploc bags. I don't know if anyone else does live that out there. I mean, I do have some permanent Ziploc bags now that are rewashable and that sort of thing, but they're still Ziploc bags. Um, But in 1998, they literally weren't available in every supermarket. So I'd tried to buy some before I left because I had heard like, you know, we're crossing deserts and sand gets into everything. If you're in sand for any length of time, it's going to be in everything. And so Ziploc bags help keep things clean, but they were a new a new thing and definitely not easy to get. But in this Pryker store that we went, went to a couple of times in different places, um, I managed to find some Ziploc bags um, and also buy some Tang. So Tang, I don't know if everyone knows what Tang is these days. It's a powder that makes an orange style so an orange cordial an orange um yeah so it's helps put some flavor into water and I've never been a big water drinker so having flavored water would definitely help me drink more so I was very excited to buy some tang while I was there and it's funny because tang kind of disappeared for years and years and years and years and I thought it was just you know gone off the face of the earth and then it reappeared or to me it reappeared at the airport in Dubai of all places you can buy these massive big like barrels almost of tang um and so Yes, I would absolutely one day I will be buying one of those. Maybe not the biggest option, but somewhere in the middle I'll be buying one of those. And if I'm going to do something along 
you know, car road trip or something in Africa, I would definitely want some Tang on board. There are just so many facets with this trip that I could talk probably for, you know, 20, 30 hours on this trip. I will say this is going to be a standalone book that I will write for the whole trip from start to finish, um, where there'll be obviously a lot more detail and background and just the full story because it is just such an incredible story. So watch out for that Um, because there's definitely, I couldn't put everything in my 365 dates of travel book and I can't tell you everything about it on this one either. Um, So there's so much stuff in here. You know, we end up in the March chapter, we make it through Spain and head down to Morocco. Um, we have a few disasters along the way, which is also the reason why they were late that first day. They didn't meet our first or make our first meeting because the car was a serial breakdowner. Just made up a new word there. And so we did sort of have a, I say, we had a tour of the Spanish mechanics. Um, so the poor cart was a little bit prone to breaking down. So, which, you know, led to all sorts of interesting experiences and everything would have been completely different if it hadn't have broken down. So I'm glad for the experiences that we had. Uh, wish it could have been a little bit less mechanic orientated, but it is the experience and I love the whole experience and everything that happened because of it. Um, but we did, One thing that was our fault and not uh, mechanics or mechanical was the (laughs) Joe who owned the car, he reversed back and broke the back window with me sitting in the back. So I was completely covered with glass. Um, Thankfully, nothing major, just a few minor little scratches here and there. But it meant that we couldn't, without a window, we couldn't lock it, well, it wasn't – the door could actually lock and shut, but obviously with no window, who cares if the door <laughs> locks? Someone can just climb in through the window. So it wasn't great for security. So we ended up – but apparently Joe was going to plan on staying with the car all the time. It was all a bit of a weird situation really, um, which I just definitely can't go into the full detail about all of that, but that will come out in the later book. It's so to keep the car safe, we split up. There were four of us, so we'd have we'd go off two in twos. So anywhere we stopped, two would go off while two stayed in the car, and then we'd swap over. And the second two would get two hours or three hours or one hour, whatever it was where we were. So it wasn't exactly time efficient, and it was really quite annoying. So, you know, four hours sometimes is what you need in a place. But if you're only there for four hours and you only get two and the rest of the two you're sitting in the car, it's really frustrating. So that caused a a lot of issues along the way. And one of the issues was I was always paired with um, Vinny. So Vinny and I were two Australians who joined. So we didn't know each other or the other two, whereas the other two knew each other. So by default, it was the people who knew each other together and the people who didn't know each other together. So Vinny and I, uh, we sort of had um, 
an interesting relationship. We could get along really well and other times he annoyed the, excuse me, crap out of me and I get very frustrated with him. You know, he just he just didn't always get it. And, you know, so I he would say something or do something and I'd look at him with, a, you know, a bit of a mad, angry face. And then to make it worse, he'd say things like, oh, is it that monthly thing? I was like, oh, my God, you do not say that. <laughs> so that would just make it worse. <laughs> um, but we had no choice. We were just constantly thrown together. Um, but, you know, as you read on, you'll find, yes, it would have been hard without him at a certain stage. Um, and then it was easier without him at a certain stage. and. He did lead me into a really interesting uh, situation over Easter, which unfortunately you will have to wait until the book comes out because it's not in um, the 365 dates of travel book. It will be a story that will come out later. And if it wasn't, it definitely was a really interesting cultural experience. And so I'm semi-glad I had it. it. So many reasons, it was just awful at the same time. but. Yeah, so a real love-hate relationship between Vinny and myself. Um, <laughs> so wait for those stories and, you know, please laugh. Remember, stories are meant to be laughed at. Nothing's meant to be taken seriously. Everything's just, everything's exactly what happened. It's the truth. It's what happened, all raw, you know, exactly what traveling is like. And a lot of people have never traveled this way. So I want to make it real. I don't want to gloss over the bad bits or only tell the good bits or, you know, make it sound better than it was by diluting the stories and diluting what was really happening. So I will be honest. I will say it as it happened. And like I said, don't take anything too seriously. Laugh away. Be grossed out. Be whatever you want to be. That's the point of telling the story, so you have a reaction. So react in any way you like. There will be no offence taken on my part, and I'll be really happy if you laugh at me and think I'm crazy because, you know, well, one, I am. <laughs> I am a bit crazy. Um, I'd like to think that, you know, I'm worth laughing at at times, so please laugh. Um, I'd be disappointed if you didn't laugh at something in the book. So the Africa stories is something you might want to just, you know, skip. There's little little bits of other trips in between and stuff, but, you know, a lot of people might like to actually read this one. And remember, that's the book's designed for a story for every date of the year. You don't have to read it in order. You don't have to read every single story. Um, it's just a story for every date. And, yes, some of them are a bit boring, but it's that's what happens when you're trying to find a story for every date because not everything is always fun and exciting on a trip. Some days are boring and there's nothing happened or literally I have no recollection of what happened. So, and like, I'm not going to make stuff up just for the sake of it. Um, so yeah, so, you know, skip through the other trips in between and read all of this story if that's what you want or skip straight to this story if you really want to. There's not a lot of information that you need to go um, 
Like you're not going to miss out on the essence of the individual story by not reading the story before it. A few little things, but nothing major. So feel free to skip around or start in the middle or start at the end and go backwards or whatever you like. It's You don't have to read the book from start to finish. Um, so just literally read what you like, ignore what you don't like, and just play around with it. I will be making, when the second six months comes out in a few weeks' time, there will be an index in the back which will have all the trips, all the countries from both books, so from the first six months and from the second six months. And so from that you can pick and choose which country or which trip you'd like to do and go straight to there or skip forward or... um, to the rest of that story if there's more and things like that. So hopefully that will also help a little bit. But yes, it will definitely be in the second six months book, which is coming out um, by the end of June. So not that long now. And don't forget to check out the photos on my website so you can follow along with lits. There's not a huge amount from necessarily the Africa trip, but you know, any of the trips, you can literally have the photos open. If you're reading on your iPad, you can have the photos on your phone, vice versa, or have the photos on your computer while you're reading the book or the paperback book or however you like it. But there's lots of other stuff there to help you get into into the mood and see, see put faces to names and just backgrounds and see how things actually looked and stuff like that. So it can be quite an interactive book don't forget that so you've got the podcast where I'm telling you background stories and extra bits you've got the book with the main stories you've got the photos on the website so you know do play around with it it's not just a pick up a book start from the beginning finish at the end and you're done with it there's a lot of different ways to get involved and enjoy and really get into the book but I have gone off topic a little bit there I'd better move on to some of the other stories. Um, I told you March was the longest chapter. There is a lot in March. Um, And one of it is the Finland trip. And, oh, I love this trip. It was such a – it's a little bit different, everything, because it ended up being um, five girls traveling on our own, so not a tour. Um, But, you know, I am traveling on my own a lot, so I am used to being – by myself so it was a whole different experience but we got to do so many exciting things and one of them was the um, going on an icebreaker ship and I really wanted to play I've got some videos of the ship breaking up the ice but of course being outside there's wind noise and all sorts of things and you can't haven't quite worked out how to isolate the crack creek cracking of the sound made by the ice breaking up. I was just addicted to it. It was just incredible. Um, So I did try and play around with some of the videos that I do have, but I couldn't get a clear enough sound to actually show you or let you hear what the sound was like. But if you ever get the chance of going on an icebreaker ship, go <laughs> um and just it's just incredible what they do these small but heavy ships you know make the way for the big ship but the sound and the 
just, yeah, just the breaking of the ice. I literally could have stood there all day watching. I didn't care how cold I was. I didn't care about food or tour of the rest of the boat or anything. I just wanted to stand there and watch over over the ship down to the water and the ice. It was just amazing. But in Finland, I did have trouble with the snow and the ice, and I'm a real wuss when it comes to slippery slippery anything and definitely slippery hills. And I don't know why necessarily I'm so nervous, and I don't know. The only thing that I can think of that it might stem from was way back to when I was like 11 years old and at the playground at school or the, you know, the schoolyard at school. And I somehow managed to roll down a concrete hill, but the first thud of the fall, the full brunt of that was taken by my right knee to the point where like it's never been medically diagnosed or anything, but I just lost feeling in that right knee. So from that day onwards, and I still don't have any feeling in there. Like it hasn't caused any issues as such. It's just that, you know, I can stick my nail into my knee and I feel a little bit of pressure, but no pain. If I do that to the other knee, it's like, well, that kind of hurts and that's sharp. So I don't know if there's some, you know, unresolved trauma in the back of my head, but I, yes, I'm very scared of hills and particularly slippery hills and particularly ice-covered slippery hills. So uh, Poland. So um, Finland was great, but also a little bit scary a few times along the way, as you've already heard me talking about in Germany and other um, snow-covered places so far in the book. Because it was also cold and icy in... Poland when I was there in 2017. That was a great trip. I really do enjoy the trips that I do on my own, that I have researched for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I come out with these amazing itineraries and see these amazing sites and Everything's organized for me in a way, but everything's mapped out. I know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it by myself. And I really come up with some good itineraries. And my itineraries allow me enough time to spend at the things that I want to spend the time at rather than the tours where you often, you might go to the same sites, but you're only there for about half the amount of time or even less in my case. Um, whereas I make sure I allow enough time to do what I want to do and get the most out of it. So Poland was a really, a really good trip. I might have to make Poland into a book of its own. I'm not sure how many individual trips will have their own book. If there is a particular trip that you are interested in and want more, then let me know because that makes it easier for me to decide what to turn into the full stories um, in the future. So Portugal in the month of March was also a trip on my own, which involved a lot of planning. When I was writing The Day in Bellum, 
It was such a long day that it was even exhausting just to write about everything that I managed to achieve on that day. And it's just incredible how much I managed to cram in to the one day. Obviously, I caught an Uber there, which helped because um, I was supposed to take public transport, but I sort of slept in. And if I didn't get there early, there was no way my itinerary would have actually worked. Um, I spent hours reading about the queues and the monastery and, well, the queues for the monastery and for the Bellum Tower. I was even zooming in on people's photos online, trying to work out how all these cues worked. So I wasn't just reading TripAdvisor views. I was looking at images, other, other travelers' photos who were all, who were mentioning lines and how it all worked and to see how they literally worked. And I had a diagram in my travel Bible drawing which direction all the different lines went to because if you got into the wrong line you were stuffed like it could ruin the rest of your day because you just ran out of time and if I was trying to squeeze everything in in one day you didn't have time to stand in line so the whole thing was based on the best time to get the shortest lines for this that the other and get all the order right if I'd got the order you know upside down or started halfway through then I wouldn't have been able to do everything that I did manage to do on that day. So it was a very busy day, but it was also a pretty awesome day. And so I'm glad it worked out, but it only worked out because of the extensive pre-planning that went into it. And I just, what there's just one story from uh, Portugal where I'm at Pena Palace and it had been such a rainy, cloudy, misty, foggy day, um, which gave a whole different experience to the to the morning, at least, or the first few hours. But then when the sun shone, all of a sudden, the clouds just disappeared for a while. And the Penna Palace in the sun, with all its multitude of colours, like reds and yellows, it was glorious in the sun. And there was this walkway where you could get to and see the full view of the palace. Like it's the perfect ultimate um, travel brochure shot of the palace. And because the rainy mist had finally gone away, people started coming out. And it was like I was getting really frustrated with the crowds because I wanted this perfect picture while the sun was out. Like I knew the sun hadn't always been out and might not stay but yeah people like having photos like that you prefer to not have too many strangers heads in it or preferably any heads in it and there was space to be able to get it without people in if they if there was a break in the crowds as they were walking out onto this walkway and, but because it was so big, I had to do a panoramic shot. So it wasn't just, uh, oh, quick, the pathway's empty and go click. It was like, okay, the pathway's empty, go. And so you'd start on the left and, you know, you're slowly moving. You don't want it to say, uh, usually it does say to me, slow down because I'm going too fast. So, you know, trying not to go too fast, but trying not to go too slow. So you get it and you'd get right to the last little bit and some pain in the butt would walk onto the walkway. And you're like, oh, 
and I have to start again. I mean, could you really not see what I was doing? Could you have waited another 10 seconds? But no. I even had some people stand in front of me to get to their photo. I was like, excuse me? So I have a lot of, you know, unusable photos of people standing in front of me. So they're getting their photo with the empty walkway and stopping me from getting mine. It was a very frustrating 20 minutes. I stood there for 20 minutes. I was determined to get this photo. And it is a perfect photo. It is on the website, so go check it out. The colors and the sky is just amazing. And there are no people in it. Like I've done a few teasers over the years where I've put postcards up and like, oh, look, and it's like, no, that's not a photo I took. That was a postcard. And people thought this particular photo was a postcard. But I truly promise you it is a photo that I took and just on my phone, my mobile phone, um, but it did take me 20 minutes of almost losing my patience to actually get it. But I don't regret it at all. It is a beautiful photo and I deserve that after arriving in the rain and the mist and the fog and everything else. So, but 20 minutes and people, please, if you see someone taking a photo, just wait a second. Is it really going to stuff up your whole day by waiting half a second for somebody to take a photo? Well, that was way more stories than I expected to tell you. This podcast has gone a little bit longer than usual, so sorry about that. I hope you don't mind. But like I said, March is the longest chapter in the book, and there's just some really great stories in March. So don't forget to buy the book so you can read the full stories. Um, The book is called 365 Dates of Travel, The First Six Months. It is out available to buy in paperback and ebook in multiple different places. So search for your favorite way to buy it. Um, you can request it at your library, the ebook version. So it has appeared in some library catalogs. So feel free to see if it's in your library catalog. But from what I can see, so far it's only the ebook version. But if you'd like to if you like to borrow ebooks from your library, just check it out and see if it's available, or maybe you can even request it and they might get it in for you. Um, not sure that would quite work with the paperback. Paperback's available to buy, and you can order into bookstores if that's not there, or Amazon, or all sorts of places. There are some direct links on my website at franheapwriter.com. And it's slash books on the books page. There are some direct links there to various things. Obviously, my podcast is already there. Transcripts of the podcasts are there. Photos for the books are there. Um, And I will be coming out with the second six months. So 365 Dates of Travel, the second six months book is coming out by the end of June. I don't have an exact date as yet, but it will be towards the end rather than the beginning. Um, It is currently still um, getting itself sorted out. And then that will be out. And like I said, there'll be a nice index in the back where you can use it for both the first book and the second book for people who that might help. 
and a little bit of instructions more on how to read the book, seeing as that seems to be necessary, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, And yes, I hope you've found something interesting in something that I've said today. Like I said, feel free to laugh at me. Feel free to shake your head in how idiotic or stupid or dumb or ridiculous or whatever word you'd like to use in my direction. I take no offense whatsoever. I'd like to think that I've made you react in some shape or form and any reaction is fine by me. Next week, I will be reading three stories from the March chapter. And so you can get a little bit more detail from that if you haven't got the book and hopefully entice you to want to learn more. And yes, don't forget, you can sign up to my newsletter at the website for inside details on what's happening and what's coming up. And like I said, there's all sorts of things at the website. So do go check it out, franheapwriter.com. I'm on Facebook as Fran Heap Writer and also Instagram as Fran Heap Writer. So thank you for listening today and I wish for you an interesting day. <laughs>